This morning I want to uh, talk with you about the Mosaic Covenant and perhaps get into the Davidic Covenant also. But before we do that, <clears throat> let's look at Matthew 24 just briefly. By the way, Kelly, what a tri- what a touching tribute uh, to Colin. You, uh, we just rejoice with you in, in your marriage. Um, they've, they've been out of state for uh, a few days, and uh, welcome home. Praise be to the Lord for he has heard my cry. I tried to find which psalm that came from. Did anybody uh, find that, or do you know which psalm that is? Psalm 32? Well, he went he went to Psalm 32, but the song itself... Um, well, Psalm 4 is similar, but I don't think that's quite the uh, the source for the song but yes the lord has heard my cry wonderful all right i want us to read um, follow along matthew 24 i'll read verses 3 uh, through 14 and again i'm just whetting your appetite Um, uh, you are long suffering here we will get to revelation but here's one of those passages that we must coalesce with the book of revelation as, uh, as well as a number of others. But here's one of those major passages. Psalm 28.6. Psalm 28.6. Thank you. Okay, so Matthew 24, verse 3. And Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So if we were to to use just broad strokes, broad summary statements from this passage, um, the progression seems to be bad times, become worse times. Um, We have deception and war that lead to persecution, more deception and lawlessness, 
and the saints will endure and the gospel will be preached. Um, so that's the future. That's the future. Now, let me turn our attention back to the Old Testament to Exodus chapters 19 and 20. And you're thinking, I, I hope Kent doesn't doesn't read Exodus 19, 5, and 6 again. I think we've read that about seven times already. <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, because this passage is so critical in understanding how God was working with the people of Israel and their particular role, divinely given, but unfortunately not exercised and worked out as it should have been. Um, And some of these slides that I share with you will address this, and I want you to to have this fresh in your mind so that you can understand and kind of follow along uh, what uh, Dr. Merrill will be saying to us in just a moment. So you remember, um, Moses slew the Egyptian, taskmaster, Uh, fled to Midian, lived there for 40 years, was married, had children. God called him at the burning bush near Mount Sinai and sent him back to Egypt to bring God's people out of Egypt to the promised land. He does that, and in uh, in the second year, they get to Mount Sinai. And, and uh, we pick up the narrative right there. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, excuse me, in, in the third month, not the second year, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. (coughs) When the Lord delivered you and me from our taskmaster, when the Lord delivered us, from Satan, from sin, from the world, from our very own selves, our old nature, and rescued us from a life of wrongdoing and alienation and reconciled us back to God. When he did all of that, he commissioned us not only as to be saved people, but to also, as Christ told his disciples, be my witnesses. Moses does the same thing here. God leads Moses to do the same thing with the people of Israel. You're entering into a covenant relationship with me. I've delivered you. Now, 
I'm going to use you as a nation to witness to all of the other nations my great glory so that they also, um, because of your testimony, come to fear and love and trust and obey me. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. I read this morning in Ezekiel 25 and 26 about the nations um, whom God judges around the people of Israel, Edom and Ammon and Moab, Philistia, because they did not hearken to the God of Israel, the true and living God. Well, and why would they? Because the Israelites and the Judites failed their God. And they were not a a holy nation. They were not a kingdom of priests. But nevertheless, the peoples are still responsible to God. Okay. So, with the Mosaic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant consistently describes the descendants of the patriarch as a nation, a goy. In Hebrew, goyim for for nations, um, rather than a people, an om. Uh, Ammon, uh, that's an extended form of Am, the peoples, okay? Um, Whereas Israel in Exodus is called a people scores of times and a nation only three times and then never prior to the establishment of Israel as the covenant nation. In other words, what Dr. Merrill's trying to get across to us here is that in in Genesis, Abraham's descendants are called a nation. In Exodus, they're not called a nation, they're called a people until we get to Mount Sinai. Then they're called a nation. You can be a holy nation. You you are my holy nation. So Israel as a nation would be the channel of world blessing, not as a people. The eschatological implications of this truth are indeed profound, he says, Restoration of the nation. In other words, let's get to the new covenant era. Because they failed, the um, the assignment that God gave the Israelites will not be completed until we get to the new covenant era. We're going to talk about the new covenant era next week or maybe the week after that. Okay, We're, we're getting through these covenants so that we understand where Israelite history is going. Because when we understand Israelite history and the covenants God made with these people, we can appreciate most most fully the greater son of David uh, and his coming kingdom and and what that means not only for the Jews but for all people. Two points, if I may. To be clear, the Abrahamic covenant is unconditional. This clearly is a conditional covenant, is that correct? This clearly is, it has elements of conditions to it, yes, but it is also one that God, I believe, comes back in the new covenant and it says, I understand there were weaknesses in the Mosaic covenant. The weakness in the Mosaic covenant was it didn't give you the power to obey. The new covenant will do that. And the other point, um, in the New Testament where he says go to the nations, Mm -hmm. in the Old Testament, the nations were, I guess through trade, were, were to come and see what was happening in Israel as opposed to them going out to, uh, oh, 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 Jonah went out. But 
Yes. That's not correct. Then they were coming seed. Is that correct? Yes, because because God had promised them the land and and centered their the people at Jerusalem and so forth. Something like the Queen of Sheba coming to see Solomon and recognizing his great wisdom. Uh, wisdom and uh, she even praised his servants, saying, "How glorious for you to be serving in the court of Solomon because of this man's great wisdom." Um, yes. Oh, is yes. it fair to say that without the Mosaic Covenant, there would be no millennium? In other words, Jesus wouldn't have... Uh, isn't he fulfilling the Mosaic Covenant in the millennium? Yes. Yes, he is. Isn't that a great question? That's a great question because he will enable the, the nation to be what it was supposed to be. Yeah, so... I always understood the Mosaic Covenant is unconditional. Okay, and and because, go ahead. Be, because of what's going to happen. Okay. So, um, we read Leviticus 26 a week or, t- or two ago, and it gives us the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience, right? So there are conditions in the Mosaic Covenant, but will God enable this people to be what what they were destined to be. Yes, he will. And and I think specifically we go right to the new covenant and we see that. The Davidic covenant plays off of the Abrahamic covenant. It also plays off a little bit of the Mosaic covenant. So um, as I as I tried to show uh, uh, I don't know when weeks previous, the covenants become more and more specific. We start with Abraham and his descendants. We get to the nation, to, to his uh, descendants under Jacob, and we've got a covenant people. Then we get to David, and we've got a covenant person. Then it will enlarge again in the new covenant to include all other people again. Uh, so the Lord does that. And in, uh, oh boy, we're going to talk about Messianic prophecy in, in, a, in a few years down the line. Okay, yes, go ahead. Okay. I'm confused. I thought the purpose of the Gentiles uh, that are saved during the millennium are supposed to be the priests to those that aren't the millennial uh, people. Okay. I don't think so. Um, I think we're talking Jewish people at that point. And when we get into the book of Revelation, the 144,000, uh, no, I, well, what I'm saying is I thought we were to be priests uh, in service. Oh, yes. Well, right now, it, uh, First Peter talks about Christians <laughs> yes. being a holy people. Yes? Right? Six of them? When it comes to speaking of uh, conditional versus non-conditional, would it be fair to say that even if it was conditional, I've always thought they were temporal uh, conditions uh, for here on earth and you know they get ransacked by the nations they, they don't get blessed that way but ultimately he's going to fulfill the covenant from his part which is and, and it's also fair to say would it be fair to say that's sort of like our christian walk you know yeah, yeah we're, we're as it were we we have the insurance you know we're, we're going to be there but but between in the dash part between <laughs> this and that we can do some really skanky stuff, but yet, if we were to know him, we're going to be in, we're safe. 
and he's going to fulfill that which he is going to do for us. Exactly. The, the promises he made to Abraham become more specified, if, yeah. if you can allow me that, sure. with the Mosaic Covenant. But under the Mosaic Covenant, we've got Deuteronomy 29 and 30. And in 29 and 30, he says, okay, when you suffer, um, all of the the consequences of the curses because you've disobeyed me and you're scattered among all of those peoples, guess what? When you <laughs> repent, I'm going to bring you back and, I'm, and you will have the land again. Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant. So it all comes back together. And in the new covenant, uh, we're going to see the same thing. So yes, uh, there are elements of conditionality here, but there is still a, a through narrative. That, that runs through the, the uh, covenants and takes the people ultimately where God wants them to be and what and his destined, uh, his destined future for the people and for the nations. Okay, so the purpose of the Mosaic Covenant was to present Israel with an offer of mediatorial <laughs> servanthood. Now, legalism completely destroys this. Human, human uh, originated legalism destroys um, serving others in behalf of the Lord so that people will say well that's a holy person you know um, and, and legalism is the opposition to grace okay the law is not the opponent of grace but misusing the law is the opponent of grace the law is holy, just, and good, Paul tells us. David says, oh, how I love your law. The, you know, David says, it, it, it enlightens my eyes. It restores the soul. Okay, the law is not the problem. It's how people misuse the law. That's the problem. Thank you for letting me kind of jump on that bandwagon for a moment. Um, so the people were given an opportunity for engagement in the Lord's salvific design of world redemption. And ultimately, that's where world history will go. The Sinai event was designed to bring this people into the awesome presence of the Lord at the site already sanctified by his appearance to Moses 40 years earlier, the burning, bu the burning bush. They were to be presented with the offer of serving the Lord God as his servant nation. The nation descended from Abraham that would be a blessing and the means of blessing to all the peoples of the earth. The presentation of the offer is clear and concise. Um, I have you in Exodus 20. So in Exodus 20 or 19 and 20, look at Exodus 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The Jews look at this and say, that's the first great word. Out of the ten, that's number one. Christians don't consider that to be one of the ten commandments, because it's a statement, not a commandment. But it, we need to give it its due force. God says, I am the Lord your God. And then he says, you, you should have no other gods besides me. <clears throat> what did Judah do? What did Israel do? Israel first, but then Judah, they became polytheistic. They adopted the gods of the land. 
which Moses had forewarned them not to do. Okay, close examination of the text reveals that it was not Israel's status as a people. It was their status as a nation. What was conditional was the nation's privilege of being a treasured possession with its corollary responsibilities. And then he talks about covenant fidelity. So as we think about the Mosaic Covenant, this is, uh, you've, you've heard the term, a suzerain vassal treaty. The suzerain gives privileges, to his vassals, the vassals receive the privileges on the condition of being true to their suzerain, to their Lord. When they're not true to their Lord, the Lord comes and says, okay, I'm going to pull back the privileges, the blessings. And that's the nature of, of the relationship of the Mosaic Covenant. To be God's treasured possession means that Israel must be separate and distinct from all of the other nations. If the conditions of full obedience to the Lord and to the terms of the impending covenant were to be met, Israel could serve him as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In the context of the Mosaic Covenant, one commonly (coughs) described as a suzerain vassal treaty text, these two terms should be understood as functional terms. So Dr. Merrill is saying kingdom of priests a holy nation are functions, not ontological, they're functional. This is how they're supposed to serve. Interesting, isn't it? That, and that, that, I think, helps us have the right perspective on the Mosaic Covenant. So what are the pledges here? Well, if the Israelites will obey Yahweh's voice and keep his covenant, they will be his own possession among all the peoples. They will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yahweh will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. Yahweh will make the people, animals, and the land fruitful and prosperous. He will give them international peace. And and that probably goes back, Fred, to something that you mentioned earlier in terms of as God blesses Israel, the people, the surrounding peoples are going to say, well, why are the Jews so prosperous? Let's go check them out. Let's see what's happening here. Maybe their God is different from our gods. If they disobey and become apostate, Yahweh will discipline them with progressively more stringent measures. Remember Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28 and 29. Until he finally exiles them from the land. If they repent and confess their iniquity, Yahweh will bring them back to the land. Because of changing circumstances occasioned by Israel's sin, the religious history of Israel has been dotted with covenant renewals. Notice this. And as I was in my program of study at at DTS, this became one of those kind of aha moments for me as I was as I was thinking through the many different times that there was a covenant renewal ceremony. So the Mosaic covenant has been renewed a number of times. It happened once right there at Mount Sinai. Remember with the golden <coughs> calf incident? Moses had gone up to the mountain 40 days, 40 nights, and the people come to 
Aaron and say, hey, we don't know what happened to Moses, but go ahead and make us some gods to lead us on into the promised land. And Aaron says, okay, throw me, you know, throw all your golden earrings at me and I'll, uh, I'll do that. So at the end of that, Exodus 32, 33, and 34, in 34, we've got a renewal uh, ceremony of the Mosaic Covenant where, where the people repent, God calls them back into right relationship with him, and they are again then reconciled with the Lord. It happens again at the end of Joshua. It happens in Samuel, chapter uh, 12 of 1 Samuel, under Samuel's leadership. It happens under Hezekiah, a great reforming king. It happens again under Josiah, his grandson, another great reforming king. And these guys lived just decades before the whole thing would be lost. And the... the, um, the covenant renewal under Josiah, we, we read in the scriptures, was a surface, um, uh, what word do I want? Uh, uh, on the exterior, not an interior, not an inward covenant renewal. It was easy for the people to comply outwardly, but inwardly they were still polytheists. Ezra and Nehemiah, we've got another covenant renewal. So all of these covenant renewals are happening because the people are failing. They are not a holy nation. They are not a kingdom of priests. They're a kingdom of apostates. Yes. So why did God create Israel in 1948? They didn't repent. Right, right. Uh, It's kind of a wonderful thing that the Lord had happen right there after the world, the Second World War. Um. A follow-up question is, is is this what God has done for Israel? I don't know that God has brought Israel back to to the land at this point. Ultimately, under God's great uh, superintendence of world history, all of this happens under God's care. Is this what we should see as a precursor to the end times? Maybe, maybe not. Indeed, many of the Hasidic Jews are the ones with the hats and the... Mm -hmm. uh, Many of them don't believe that uh, 1948 was truly a return of Israel. How do they look at it, Fred? Uh, They just look at it as as people coming, that the Messiah will make that happen. That's the way they look at it. Okay. He will restore. Many of them think they just happen to come back to the land themselves. Okay, it certainly sets up for the end times. If the people are in the land... And if the Antichrist creates a covenant with the people of Israel and then breaks the covenant, as we will see um, uh, from Daniel and then also from Revelation. Um, <clears throat> yes. Okay. Yes? It was prophesied in, 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 uh, that uh, Israel would be, be a nation, would come back as a nation. I will bring them back into mm-hmm. the land. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ezekiel, I think it was. Yes, yes. And, uh, it, but again, I think it's another manifestation of the Mosaic Covenant. This is why it happened. God says, I haven't given up on you, and I will not give up on you. There will be an element that uh, a certain amount of people from the vast nation of Israel that will make it into the millennium, and there you will see everything prophesied. Yes come true. Yes. 
and even with the New Jerusalem and um, the foundation stones and the gates, the gates, I believe, I believe the gates are named for the 12 tribes of Israel in the New Jerusalem. The, the foundation stones for the apostles of, of Christianity. Interesting, you know, uh, kind of coalescence of, of both peoples, uh, the Jewish people and, and the Christian peoples. Okay, let me talk about an application here. Is our salvation like the Mosaic Covenant? And, and you know, immediately you might say, oh, no, 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 no. We don't want to go there. We don't want to be legalistic. And I'm not asking that question. Okay? Just reflect with me for a moment. Is your salvation in Christ like the Mosaic Covenant? Have we been rescued from slavery and oppression? Amen, brother. Amen. Yes, we have. Um, in fact, one of the passages that I think our pastor teacher alluded to today in Second Timothy reads this way. The servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Hmm. Yes. Have we encountered the living God? Yes, we have the true and only living God. And are we his people? Yes, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. Does he live in our midst? Yes. Should we live holy lives which reflect his grace? Yes. Um, would Israel answer all of these questions similarly? I think they would. Should we trust the sacrificial system that he provided to atone for our sins? Yes. We trust Jesus. We trust the Lamb of God. We trust the Lamb slain as Revelation 5 uh, presents him. They trusted the sacrificial system, and I believe they were efficacious to a point for a time until the final sacrifice was offered. And, the, and all of those offerings found their fulfillment and culmination at Mount Calvary. Should we obey out of allegiance and gratitude rather than legalism? You bet we should. You see, I, I believe one of the ploys of our enemy is to make Christianity legalistic it, it, and that is a secondary step to making Judaism legalistic Judaism properly understood now this is my bias uh, think about it you're, you're, you're good thinking honest people um, I believe one of Satan's ploys is to make Judaism look legalistic that is, the Judaism of the Old Testament, the Judaism given to the Jews, not necessarily the modern forms. And 
not necessarily even the um, the first century BC or AD Judaism, but the Judaism that God gave to the people. Uh, it was supposed to be a heart religion, and uh, we read in the Psalms uh, about uh, that element of faith. Should we love God as he has loved us? You bet we should. And so I'm not saying that we are Israel. I'm not saying that we are under the Mosaic Covenant. But I am saying there are parallels. We put down, you know, the Israelites um, being delivered from oppression and from sin and, and, and so forth uh, out of Egypt. You and I being delivered from Satan and the world and ourselves um, living by grace, having God in our midst, you know, God in the camp, so to speak, camping around the uh, the holy place, the tabernacle. Uh, we do these things. We come together, and God is in our midst. So there are similarities here, and we can benefit from looking uh, backward and under- understanding the Old Testament, even as we seek to understand the New Testament. I think the suffering between the two are in different contexts. Uh, with regard to Israel, they committed the unforgivable sin. They put Jesus on the cross. Okay, they've never changed that. They've never changed that. They are still committing the unforgivable sin. Okay, yes. but yet their suffering has been the result of that. Where our suffering right now is suffering, we're, if we're suffering now, we're suffering for Christ because Christ said, you're yes. going to suffer down there because they beat me up, they're going to beat you up. Yes, yes. You know, that's, so it's exactly. a different context. Yes, exactly. And, and what does the scripture say? When Jesus returns, they will look on him whom they pierced and there will be deep mourning. Great distinction, great distinction. They're suffering being apostate from God. We suffer being uh, as persecuted followers of Christ. But one day they're going to join us. And I believe that happens right in the tribulation. And and when those 144,000 are chosen, and I believe they serve evangelistically across the nations. Will m- many of them be martyred for their faith? You bet they will. Great, great comments. Thank you, Dick. Okay, let's talk about the Davidic Covenant. We've been down this road before, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time. Remember, we've talked about the Davidic Covenant, but there are major texts, 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17. There are other texts. I'd love to spend a lot of time with you on them, but you want to study Revelation, and we're going to get there. Okay. Um, David's actions in the transition from Saul to himself, including his mourning for the deaths of Saul and Jonathan, his innocence in Abner's death, and the consequent mourning for him. The capital execution of the assailants of Ishboseth portray David as a conscientious statesman and capable servant of Yahweh, who by virtue of Yahweh's favor becomes the new king over both Judah and Israel, thereby achieving his destiny presaged by the unexpected anointing of Samuel when he was a kid. Okay, now, 
I'm, I'm going to jump on to, the, to uh, another hobby horse for just a minute. I'm going to ride a different, a different horse for a minute. You've heard me say something about my great admiration for David. David gets a bad rap. Did he do some bad things? He did. But did he repent? Yes, he repented. Yes! And did he suffer consequences? Yes, he did. And his family did. But name somebody else who repented after being accosted by a prophet. Did Solomon ever repent? Hmm, don't think so. Hmm. Although in Ecclesiastes he said uh, the, the message was to love God early and often. Yes, and and if when we boil it all down, fear God, it, it, this is the beginning and the ending of life, yes. Was he smart? Very, very smart. Did he live it out? No. Unfortunately, no, he didn't. So, um, David's a great guy. He's a great guy. He was a wonderful warrior. He was a wonderful musician. He didn't have it together in his family, and he succumbed to temptation. Um, he was an author of 73 psalms, I think. He was given promises uh, unparalleled with any other man. Sixto, what are you thinking? No, no, no. I, I'm just uh, uh, thinking that um, your statement there, that he was a great statesman for the sake of the nation and, yes. and all of that, but his personal life. Yes. What an absolute, I'm sorry, yes. I, I, again, I'm, not, I'm a figure. Failure in that regard that he didn't hold that in, the, in, the, in the, as high esteem as his, his. I mean, listen, we listen yeah. to the message from today. Exactly. And yes. so that's a, yeah, uh, people outside, okay, look mm -hmm. at that, and they, they don't get it. Right. It, you, well, we don't get it. it if we were to put all of the events, the, the really significant events of David's life, on a ledger with, yeah. the, with the pros and the cons, yeah. guess what? There'd be about 22, 23 events, yeah. and 17 of them are all good. Yeah. About five of them are questionable, one's really bad. Um, so that's the kind of man we're dealing with. But think about his predecessor. He blew it three times, and God finally said, I'm done with you. Um, so let's, let's keep all of that in perspective. Um, all right. I want to go, I'm, I'm going to skip right down through here because we've been through this material. Excuse me, I, I know this is bothersome to you. Yes? Go, yes, go ahead. Yes, and, and the Lord Jesus, uh, as great an example as, as he is, and he, you know, we want to reflect his image, um, but he could not be an example of repentance and, and turning away from sin back to the Lord because he was sinless. 
but David can be that example. I don't think any of us can claim that we have Yes, Gail? I was just going to add to what Randy said, and that we needed David's authentic Peter also, perhaps, Matt? He's a prime example of, of the sovereignty and grace of God. So we, he's it, kind of like a special case. God will gave Most mm-hmm. other people, God would say, you're done. Mm-hmm. And that's God's prerogative. And that's the message there. Is mm-hmm. He can do that. Mm-hmm. That's what Romans 9 and 10 talk about. It bothers us on a human mm-hmm. level. Because mm-hmm. we think God is unfair. But nothing is unfair to God because we don't deserve anything. Amen. And and God um, obviously was going to work out His intents and purposes for David and his descendants as well. Yeah, and to belabor the point about David, is uh, a lot of naysayers always point to that. Oh, David, why you guys honor a guy that you know committed adultery? I said, well, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, he, he murdered the guy. Not only did he murder him, but he took the home. They don't know that in the weeds. He was a lousy father. And that's the thing, too, that there's hope for what Matt said, that in spite of us, God still loves us. He'll get, he'll get it done for us. And, and we'll have our moments when we go to him and stuff, but we have blind spots. And just mm-hmm. keep on, keep it on, because, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's, and that because of his grace, not taking it for granted, but uh, just rest in his grace, because, you know. Yes, yes. Yep. Okay, um, let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Thank you for your participation. I so enjoy uh, talking with you and, and hearing your thoughts and your questions, and I'm sure others in the class uh, benefit as well. So please continue to, to uh, participate. Lord God, you are the one and true and only living Lord. I pray, Father, that people from east to west and north to south would fear, would adore, would praise, with lo- would love, and would obey you. You deserve that. We owe that to you. You are our creator. You are our redeemer. Um, We owe you our allegiance, our affection. We owe you our utmost cooperation. Your son, the Lord Jesus, is our Messiah. 
And we look forward to the day when every tongue will acclaim him. Every knee will bow to him. He deserves our humble thanks and our commitment. So use us, Father. Use us to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Use us to be examples of faith and hope and love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.